It's Dr. Seuss Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host in the business, my friend, the blisterious one, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. Hello, hello. Welcome, Bliss. We are happy to be back with all of you for podcast number 166. That's one more than 165. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And two less than 168. We have to do something like really special when we get to 200. Oh my God. 200. 200. Yeah. Well, I could be living in another state by then. I know, but we're going to keep going. Oh, we are going to go for sure. By the way, you can email us at askdrstew at gmail.com and we'd love if you would or at birthingbliss at hotmail.com or actually email both of us at the same time, which would be really nice. CC. CC. Mm-hmm. CC. <laughs> CC Pounder. Who is CC? Oh, she's an actress. <laughs> That's a segue. She's an actress. I don't know. Yeah, she's CC Pounder. Um, websites are birthinginstincts.com, birthingbliss.com, with social media at Birthing Instincts, and at Birthing Bliss Midwifery. Yep. Always something interesting going on. What's going on in your social media lately? I don't, I'm really not like doing a you, lot of social media yeah, right you, now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm kind of just being in the world with my peeps. Yeah, there's certain people that are really prolific on social media. Yeah, I don't. I have, I, I, yeah. I want. And I only follow a few people because, you know, there are people that follow hundreds and hundreds of people. I don't. What do you do all day long? You're just scrolling through your, uh, your feed. Yeah, but you don't get all hundred. You only get like the top something. You, there's people that you follow that you don't see them. Why? Because I don't know. They have algorithms and stuff. I don't oh, know I why. didn't. I didn't realize that. I started following this little kid. I can't remember his name right now, but he's a dancer. He is. He's like three, and so dramatic and beautiful dancer at like three well did he have a c-section two days earlier (laughs) no what does that have to do oh don't you remember the last podcast (laughs) you'll be dancing in two days oh wow i didn't follow that one (laughs) you don't remember that it wasn't that long ago that we had that discussion you know i forgot you did Mm -hmm. well that's a problem that we're both having actually called the grieving brain it's uh it's worse than pregnancy aging brain is worse than grieving brain I'm going to say that I'm grieving because then it'll be better. Than not, aging? No, yeah. but I have aging brain. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other day I was I, I was doing that thing where you're, you got your phone like in your hand and you're looking for your phone. <laughs> 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 I hate when that happens. Or your glasses are on your head and you're... Yes. By the way, you couldn't find your glasses a minute ago. Where were they? Under my butt. If it, Whenever oh. I ask you where something is... Have me stand up because it's almost always under, under my butt. Under your butt. <laughs> it's it's large, cat. You know. Have you seen my car recently? <laughs> <laughs> Let me stand up. Oh. Nope, I haven't no. seen it. <laughs> not that big. Yeah, no, Thanks it's not that big at all. Too. That was a joke. That was totally, totally a joke. Oh my god! Now I'm going to be taking shots for for a while. <laughs> okay. Speaking of shots. Oh. Um, my niece came into town. It was her 30, <laughs> 33rd birthday, I think. That's a good birthday. And we... Any double number is a 34. good birthday. Any double number is a good birthday. 34. Her her brother is born exactly a year later, and he's 33. So that's why I got it mixed up. She's 34. Okay. Um, and we went to Hamburger Mary's in West Hollywood and watched the Drag Queen show. Oh, I don't was, know about it. Oh, very fun. Very, very fun. But I was with all of my nieces and nephews, and, and they um, they were like, hey, you want to do shots? And I was like, no, I'm not doing shots. <laughs> but I will watch you guys do shots. So we did. You, you didn't do shots? No. For one, I was on call. And for two, I am way too old to do shots. Of? Sorry. Shots of? I don't know. What they didn't, oh, you don't even know. They didn't care. They just wanted me to do shots. They thought it would be really funny Well, you could have done shots. You could have done shots of like, uh, of like, uh, Martinelli's and they would not alcoholic yeah, right. uh, champagne Just to be celebratory. Yeah, I had a I had a, a beer. I, you know, I wasn't like a total. You know, but whatever. You're never a total, whatever. <laughs> whatever that thing is. You, you're never a total. Keep, keep the headphones on your head, though, would you? <laughs> your hair looks good today. Um, I get it done you every three stri- weeks. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's like it's straight. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. nice, and it's getting long. It is getting long. I know. Yeah. I know. You're changing. Uh, changing. You're going to keep it long for a while? Until I shave it. Okay. Again. I think I should get rid of my beard. You've never seen me without a beard. I haven't had. Never? 
I haven't had not had a beard in years. In well, years, then years, maybe years. you should try it for, just for fun. You can grow it back, right? It grows back <laughs> pretty yeah. quick, actually. Yeah, that's what but I. My, but my face looks funny without it now that I've had it for so long. It's just look, you're not used to it. Yeah. Well, well, that's what funny means, I think. I think you've answered your own question. Then you would not feel comfortable taking it off. Nope. Yeah. No, nope, but I'm going to get a buzz cut this week, though. I like it when your hair is buzzed. Yep. How's the horses? Oh, Candelita's feet were having a problem again, but mm-hmm. uh, but fortunately, the the lovely people who also board their horses there keep an eye on my little girls because I'm not there that often, mm-hmm. and noticed it, and so we got the farrier up and um, took off her shoes and trimmed her feet to the right angle, and she seems to be better. Good. Of course, I haven't I haven't seen them for a little bit. I've been traveling, so um, any any more travel on the horizon before June. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm going to be going to, uh, well, let's see, barring any more funerals. Did yeah. I talk about that? Did I talk about that on the Mm-mm. podcast? Oh my gosh, I should just talk about that. Not the, not the funeral so much, but I, I had to go to Dallas, uh, Fort Worth for uh, a funeral for my cousin who's the same age as me, mm. which was really tragic. And she, you know, she had diabetes and she didn't really take good care of herself. She took care of everyone else around her, her entire family. Yeah. She was one of those matronly saintly motherly matriarchs if -hmm. i can say that of her family and so it's going to be a big loss um and her cousin her brothers are are you know are i'm very close to her brothers they were out in la a week afterwards and we all had dinner down in san diego with maddie and some of the uh, uh some of their daughters and it was really a nice reunion but when i was in dallas i did something that was not really a bucket list thing Mm -hmm. but i'm so glad i did i went to dealey plaza what's that See, I figured you'd say that. <laughs> As anyone under 60 years old, you'd say that. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't know what happened in Dealey Plaza. I don't. Well, what's the biggest thing that ever happened in Dallas? The Alamo? Well, that's not in Dallas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's in Texas. Texas, though. I don't know. What is the biggest thing that ever happened? The assassination of President Kennedy. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes, of course. So they have a museum on the sixth floor of the book depository. It's mm. not called the book depository anymore, but you can go up the sixth floor and they have these stations, and you have the headphones, and you walk around, and it's really historical. And it was really eerie, because um, you get to look out the window uh, mm-hmm. from the sixth floor of the book depository, and you can see where they were coming down. Um, I don't know if it's Main... No, not Main Street. They turn on whatever street that is, and then they turn left on Elm, and they go down, and you can see on the street, they have Mark where the two shots hit him. There's little X's on the street, wow. and you can actually see how... Cl- it really isn't that far away from the window. I mean, it makes it a little bit more believable that Oswald did actually do this by himself. Mm-hmm. But then they, but the museum is great because they, 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 tribu- they, they pay tribute to the conspiracies as well. And the idea that, you know, could, was it the Cubans? Was it the mafia? Was it the, who, who was it? And, and, and they talk about it. And they also talk about the grassy knoll and the, and the picket fence. And you get, to, and I went down there and I got to stand on the grassy knoll and I stood where Abraham Zapruder stood with his 16 millimeter camera who happened to film. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Zapruder film. If you saw the movie JFK, you saw yep, it. But I saw it. Yeah. I mean, that was the key to the, you know, make, you know, understanding what happened because you had it on film and they didn't expect that to be happening. But he, but where he stood and then you could go out behind in the rail yard behind in the picket fence and you could, and you know, I was seven years old and I was in second grade spelling class when this happened. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things like the Challenger Never blowing forget. up or, the, or mm-hmm. 9-11. Mainly the three biggest things that, that yeah. I'll remember um, in my lifetime so far. They all happen to be tragedies, but I guess that's the things you try to remember. Yeah. But for anybody getting to Dallas, even if you you know are young and you don't have any recollection of it whatsoever, it's very historical to go there, and you can see what a different age that was. That yeah. you know the president is just walking around with people at at Love Field when he gets off the airplane, and you know there's a few guys around him and stuff like that, and he's an open he's in an open car driving five miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that would, you know, and, and they probably did that. You know, that was the end of an era when he was. I remember that. It was sort of the end of innocence when he was assassinated and everything changed. You know, it's interesting. My mom was just here for a visit and yeah. we watched that movie, um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And she said the exact same thing. Like that, you know, this was the beginning of the end of the innocence for us. Like we were just so innocent back then. In the, six, in the 50s and 60s, we were. Yeah, that was 60. 69. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. was, it was the, um, 
I love that movie, by the way, because and partly because of it's a period piece, and they do it so accurately. They do, yeah. You know, the freeways had nobody on them, and the, <laughs> and the billboards, and and people just drive around, no seatbelts, everybody mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes, and mm-hmm. you know. Plus, that. you get to see Brad Pitt's uh, abs. Oh yeah, they look pretty good. I know that's your yeah. highlight. And the movies were set, <laughs> and she goes to the movies, and they were asking her for seventy-five cents. Yeah, I remember the, going to a double feature, and it was like. 50, two bucks two or bucks something. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember 50 cents, triple feature, Three Stooges triple features <laughs> at the St. Louis Park Cinema Wow. when I was a kid. And I remember walking there one time and I lost a shoe <laughs> walking there because I cut, we cut across a field and it was so muddy and my foot sank in and I pulled my foot out and, and, I only, and I didn't have a shoe. <laughs> so I went to the movies with one shoe. Kids. I couldn't get the shoe out. It was <laughs> lost in the mud. <laughs> Those are the days. Talking yeah, about and they give you a little innocence. plastic bag. You have a little plastic bag with change in it, and you get to the go to the movies, and you for ten cents or fifteen cents, you get popcorn too. Aww. I sound just like my dad. My dad I used know. to say he used to go on a date for a quarter. <laughs> he did. He take the streetcar and take his girl to a movie for a quarter. Yeah, now it's two hundred and fifty bucks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and no one takes a streetcar either anymore. Aww. Oh God. So uh, we got off. Let's see. So that was all about giving shots. <laughs> that was you going on your trip. Your, yeah. I know, but it all started with yeah. the, with the. And what? Why? Why did I even talk about shots? What did I talk about? I don't know. Moving on. We we're going to move on. Anyway, Old so oh, you, you asked me about traveling. So there we go. You said about traveling. So Dallas was a something I traveled. Yes, I'm, but I'm going back to Texas in uh, first two days of May. I'll be teaching the Breach Conference in San Antonio, May first and second, and we're trying to add in Dallas again. Because I'm going to be in Texas anyway, so mm-hmm. we're going to try to get a seminar added in Dallas like three days later, which would be great because then I can spend more time with my cousins down there, who I don't spend enough time with. Yeah. Um, they're from my mother's side of the family, and my mother has a very small side of the family, so it's kind of cool. Uh, and then you and I are going to Ecuador. <laughs> you can tell we're excited because we talk about it on every podcast. <laughs> yeah, but we still we we I'm I'm excited <laughs> about planning it out because my OCD, you know, we talked about that last time too. Mm-hmm. I'll feel much better once we have it. I started working away. on this. Is this is a true story? I I went on to there's um girls who travel on Facebook, um and I posted I posted a picture of Sky and I and talked about how you know she had passed away and. Um, and I was going on this trip and I'm, I don't really have the brain power to be able to like plan like I usually do. And I wanted to kind of ask them for some support in, in planning this trip and they wouldn't post it because they said I needed to put a trigger warning on there. So I have to type the whole thing in again. Wait, say that again. Repeat that for the people that were not listening, including me, <laughs> who was actually they, multitasking at the moment. I was trying to to get a bunch of information, have them help me with tips on where we're traveling, because yes. that's one of the easiest ways to do it. And because I mentioned that my daughter was killed, they wouldn't post it and said that I had to retype it in with a trigger warning. And I was like, oh, so now I have to start all over again. So that's I, I was going to come and see you today with a bunch of information. You know, this safe space stuff dri- I, is driving me freaking crazy. I thought about it again, and I thought, you know, it, it do they is... Have a trigger war- do they have trigger warnings before they put, uh, before you go to... Uh, <laughs> Here he goes. Here yeah. he goes, you guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, before you go online, or, you, or before you watch a TV show, um, do they have trigger warnings before, before any movie with Liam Neeson in it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what you're getting into. That's the point. Is if you're on a, a travel thing, you probably don't think you're going to be talking about children dying and stuff like that. And so, for people who you know are are triggered by particular things, oh, just trying God. to protect them. But anyways, I was trying. I want you to know that I was making an effort to to move forward with plans. I'll I'll get back to it. I'm going to come over one day, and we're going to just get it done. All right. All right. Yep. We'll get it done. And John just gave me two puzzles, so. We have puzzles. Yes. yes. <laughs> now he took again. Mercy. He took, yeah, I thought I told John it was like giving it was like giving uh, al- alcohol to an alcoholic. <laughs> you, you just said last podcast that you wanted to like stop, take a break, and then he and then, then we come back and he shows up with two puzzles for you. Here, here's some puzzles. Yes, I know. <laughs> first one's free. <laughs> okay, uh, they were good looking puzzles though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're um, New York City and Las Vegas. The strip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be challenging. Okay, so that, <laughs> we're halfway through the podcast. We haven't <laughs> talked about anything yet. So, um, what else? Which is new? great. So this is the one of, another one of our podcasts about it. Well, I want to talk a little bit about my two my two best buddies, 
Yep. All right. So here's a quote. Ben and I'm Jerry, gonna, right? Yeah, here's a quote, and I'm going to ask you. I'm going to give you a multiple choice question. You have to ask who said this. Okay. Okay. When you have a planned home birth with a direct entry midwife, you are four times more likely to have a baby who dies, and that's unacceptable. Okay. Did that was that said by Bill Nye, the science guy? Was it said by Ina May Gaskin? <laughs> was it said by Amos Grunbaum from formerly of Cornell University? Is it A, B, or C? It's one of them. A C. God, I can't fool. I can't put anything. Can't past, fool me. Can't put anything past you. <laughs> <laughs> He's at it again. Okay. I, is it true or false? The statement. Is it true or false? It's neither. It's neither. Yes. Okay. It's it's true if you use bad data, but does that make it true? Four times more likely. If you use bad data and okay. you use statistic to, 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 yeah, statistical manipulation, <laughs> you can make anything true, can't okay. you? Okay. So tell me how he did that. Well, I'm going to. All right. All right. So apparently, this is um, this was presented at the uh, I don't know some perinatal society meeting in Texas. Mm-hmm. Texas is in the news, like obviously today. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to read this. This was from a, a, a report in uh, Medscape, which is a reliable source, which always annoys me when reliable sources print things without any sort of rebuttal or whatever else. But I'll, I want let's break through. Let's break through this. Okay? Well, you should rebut. I'm tired of rebutting. I'm sorry. It's not Aurora Borealis nature to rebut all the time. I know, but it we gets need very frustrating. You. I know. We need you to rebut. And then I, if I rebut, I'm self-serving. We need we need like women to write in from home mothers to write in who have no uh, dog in that fight. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, read it. But I'll help. By the way, if you want me to write a letter and then you you guys want to <laughs> sign it, I'll do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> go starts like this. About two percent of deliveries in the United States are home births. All right. All right. But then I wanted to get into it because down a couple a couple paragraphs down he says there were thirty eight thousand four three hundred forty three home births in two thousand seventeen, up from twenty six thousand six hundred sixty seven in two thousand seven. So it's rising, which is really good. Mm-hmm. But if there's approximately four million births a year, because I'm a math junkie, and I love that about you. Okay, then if two percent of deliveries in the United States are home births, then that would be eighty thousand births at home mm-hmm. but they're only 38,000 so he lied from the very first sentence <laughs> okay because only one percent of births are being born at home if you take the if that's what the numbers are and that's the, according to the centers for disease control okay so amos grunbaum he's now let's get him let's get his right he's professor of OBGYN at the zucker school of medicine at hofstra northwell in hempstead new york Okay, For, he was formerly of Cornell, but this is probably a promotion, and I'm not sure how many years ago he he, he changed. But give him credit to, to move up in academia. You, I mean, you have to play the game, but you also can't be an idiot. So I give him credit for that. But he, they, they just have, they have an obsession with this thing, mm-hmm. and I'll explain why in a second. And then he says, um, "Let's see, the numbers seem to have plateaued for their study." Grunbaum and his colleague, who's his colleague? I forget. <laughs> yeah, Frank Chervenak. I, I, I could have done a multiple choice there too. You would have guessed that That's one too. That's easier for me. Also a Zucker, uh, also at Zucker, assessed neonatal mortality using data from the CDC linked birth and infant death records from 2007 to 2016. I would have to tell you that uh, they've had at least five, possibly six papers from the same data. Mm-hmm. And every one of those papers, including several that, uh, that I have refuted in some of my blogs, all right, that's flawed. It's just the, the, the data itself is flawed, all right? It, it doesn't say whether they're planned or unplanned in many of the birth certificate data. It doesn't say the skill of the practitioner. It doesn't say anything about the intent. Was it, you know, well, that's planned or unplanned. Um, so there's so many flaws in trying to get using birth certificate data. But then the numbers also fall apart further down, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue here, Okay. Uh, during the study period, the rate of neonatal mortality was three three per ten thousand three point two seven per ten thousand live births in the hospital, attended by certified nurse midwives. So three per ten thousand is about a ninety nine point nine seven chance 
of it not happening. Mm-hmm. Remember that number, 99.97. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, again, they only use neonatal mortality as their endpoint. That's So there's so many other things to consider, like long-term health of the baby, long-term health of the mother, long-term uh, satisfaction of the mother, psychological well-being, psychological well-being of the mother, keeping women healthy, lower C-section rates, all the other things that go along with midwifery care. But that's not the only... When they, they're only using the cherry-picked endpoint, which is neonatal death, which, of course, is an important endpoint, but it's not the only endpoint. I know. Okay. All right. So with certified nurse midwives at home, the rate of neonatal mortality was 9.5 per 10,000. Okay, so that's 99.05% chance of it not happening. So we had 99.75. So they're both 99. 99.9. Percent chance of it not happening. Right. Okay. With a direct entry midwife, the um, rate was 12 per 10,000. Which, by the way, if there were 40,000 home births, we're talking about 48 deaths. Versus 36 deaths with certified nurse midwives at home versus only 12 with nurse midwives in the hospital. So that's, you know, that, that's where he comes up with a four times greater mm-hmm, risk, 12 mm-hmm. to 48. Right. All right. The problem is that 12 per 10,000 is, again, is 99 point. Boy, got to do the math. Well, one, let's see, one per thousand would be 99.9. So it's 99.88. So 99.88% chance of it not happening. Okay. Okay. So if you look at it numbers that way, this is is what they do. Mm -hmm. So they say there's a fourfold increase. Which sounds scary. Which sounds scary. Mm -hmm. But you're talking about less than one-tenth of one percent change by doing that. And you're denying all the benefits that go along with having a home birth. And all the potentials that it could go right. Right. Yeah. Not only that, but the low, you know, the lower chance of just have, by being at home, you have a significantly lower chance of having interventions uh, on operative delivery of any kind uh, or a cesarean section. You have the higher rate of satisfaction, higher rate of skin to skin bonding. You have the higher, all the things that go Exposure along. Exposure to bacteria. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they do this. And this is, um, what, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because these guys are just, they're just, they're making a, they've made a career in the last decade out of re, re, reiterating the same data mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Um, in a previous study of intended home births from 2016 to 2018 that Grunbaum and Chervenak were involved in, what, what do you mean were involved in? They were the authors of. <laughs> More than 60% of the pregnancies had high risk factors that could be lead to complications. Do you remember what those were? We discussed them on one of our podcasts. High maternal age, mm-hmm. being overweight first-time mothers are now considered high risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you just keep expanding what's high risk. Eventually, you get what maternal fetal medicine doctors want, which is that every single person yeah. is high risk. Right. And I was talking to somebody up in Alaska about what goes on here in Southern California, and I, and I told them, I said, I don't think there's an OB doctor here who does hospital birth that it'd be very unlikely that any, any of their obstetrical clients have ever made it through the entire pregnancy without seeing a, a maternal fetal medicine doctor. Yeah, it's not very common. I mean, even if it's just for the 20-week structural scan, um, but they get an opinion from them. And if their thyroid is a little out of whack, they'll send them to an endocrinologist. And if, they're diabe- if, they're, you know, if they fail their diabetes screening test, rather than taking care of them themselves, they'll send them to an MFM. Yeah. They... they so every single person gets exposed to that kind of sophagy type thing that we talked about before where, you know, you're, you're doing what? With who? Mm-hmm. Now, there are some really, really lovely and decent MFMs out there who don't do that sort of thing. But the odds are that you're going to find an MFM who's going to then begin to find things that plant those seeds of doubt in you. Right. Like, didn't, was it you that just sent me something the other day about... Uh, uh, Corey plexus cyst. Yeah, because you know, I'm having to to think about other resources now that you're moving out of 
the state. I'm not moving for quite a while yet. I know. But this person particularly had Medi-Cal and really didn't want to pay out of pocket. And um, Yeah, the Medi-Cal sh- issue is an issue, and yeah. I get that. Yeah. I, I get that. Even yeah. though I give discounted fee, I totally understand them yeah. not wanting to pay anything. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I have my own issue with the recent Medi-Cal person who I did a service for and then has decided not to pay me. That's um, not cool. Yeah. That has nothing to do with them being Medi-Cal. That's just being a jerk. Uh, well, if it wasn't Medi-Cal, it would have been probably paid up front. So mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You try to do favor for people. Yeah, I get it. comes back and no, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> so yes, I did send them somewhere else and, and uh, it was on their report and I just wanted to double check. Right. But an isolated finding of a choroplexus cyst is a meaningless thing, yet, an, uh, especially if these women have already had NIPT testing mm-hmm. to know that the chromosomes are normal. But... Even in a case where it's just an isolated finding, if it's associated with other subtle findings like an echogenic focus in the heart or echogenic bowel or other, you know, that sort of thing, then um, you have to worry about chromosomal abnormalities. Right. But uh, uh, an isolated choroplastic cyst will almost always disappear. Yeah. But you still have to note it on your report. Sure, you do. Right. But you don't have to note it. I mean, and you have to tell the patient, but you need to tell the patient reassuring things. But so many times they say, listen, it's probably nothing. But we'll check it again in six weeks to make sure that it's gone. So when you tell a woman it's probably nothing, but let's see you back in six weeks, what is she worried about for six weeks? Yeah. Do you think that she should be followed up on? I'm going to go on the record and say if that's the only thing they found, no. Okay. But that would be, I would be going against the standard of care in the community. They didn't didn't tell her anything about it because so. the standard of care oh it didn't really Mm-mm. oh good for that medical oh they don't, <laughs> they don't want her coming back they're not going to get anything from it so well they get something yeah but they, not much they because they, they, they put in all kinds of codes yeah not much yeah. trust me yeah <laughs> well speaking of that we should talk uh, if we get a chance we should talk about oh you have something mm-hmm. you want to read it right now or you want me to finish yeah you finish okay all right well I, i'll skip the thing i was going to do after that so it says, in New York, I get my hair cut by someone who's certified and has less training for that. And I can only use a plumber who has an official license, he pointed out. But with direct entry midwives, anything goes. Well, first of all, that's not true. Okay? Anything doesn't go. Right. Direct entry midwives ha- have a level of education. And restrictions. Right. And laws and all kinds of things. People to be accountable to. And, and then he says this. Unlike certified nurse midwives who receive a standard education, direct entry midwives are not required to have any specific level of training, he explained. In some cases, the only form of training is an apprenticeship with an experienced midwife. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm not sure that that's true, but even if it was true, so what? Is that training how does enough? A pl- how saying? does a plumber become an experienced plumber? Right. doesn't go to plumbing school. <laughs> okay. You know, Apprenticeship model was the thing for, for, for centuries. Right. Was how people got become experts in their field. So he's just, he just, you know, he's just throwing out things and belittling things, and he just, he just annoys me. I know. Northern Lights. <laughs> Northern Lights. Okay. Um, and then he says, and then, and then somebody says, oh, and then, and then he also says, women need to know that there is a much higher chance of a baby dying with a home delivery than a hospital delivery. This is where we get into the use of words. I would ask him to define much. Yep. Is four times a very small number, a, is, is that much? To him, yes. And it's enough to sway people. Right. Which is but you also, have, you also have about a eight times higher rate of having a C-section by going to the hospital. Is that much? Yes. Even in low-risk women. Mm-hmm. But that's not... Consideration, because neonatal death is the only consideration. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, uh, then they, they interview uh, uh, this, this guy. This guy's amazing. His name's G. Thomas Ruiz, MD, an obstetrician gynecologist at Memorial Care Orange Coast Medical Center in Fountain Valley, California. So he's the local guy. All right. He says this. The surprising thing about this study is not the results. It's that this seems to be the first time someone has looked at this data. <laughs> Okay, I just told you that they've done five or six papers on this data. Okay, so Dr. Ruiz, it's the first time you've looked at this data. Okay, because it's the first time it crossed your radar screen. That's pretty funny. Because probably you were at this meeting, or you happened to, you know, whatever, you happened to be called by the Medscape reporter and asked this question, 
and you didn't know anything about home birth, and I don't know why you're even commenting because you don't know anything about home birth. All right. They didn't call me. All right. Medscape, get on it. No pregnancy should be considered low risk until the mother has successfully come back from a wellness check at her first postpartum visit. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's another statement. So mm-hmm. now every pregnancy is high risk until she comes wow. until six weeks postpartum. We pretty much know that that's how we feel And this is it. said by Denise Castellanos, a certified nurse midwife, also at Memorial Care Center in Fountain Valley. The difficulty with home births is that when something goes wrong, such as a mother who's bleeding unexpectedly and a repair has to be done, the wait time can be catastrophic. Hmm. Hmm. Catastrophic. For a repair that's yeah, bleeding. The wait time is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I understand what she means by catastrophic, but it sounds a bit hyperbolic to me, don't mm-hmm. you think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there could be negative consequences for a lifetime. God, where's some perspective on these things? Yeah. Bliss has just got to smirk on her face. We need to be nodding. using these words. Okay, so both Ruiz and Castellanos as well as Amos Grunbaum, emphasized that this study should not be interpreted as depicting midwives in a negative light. <laughs> well, yeah. not since, nurse midwives. Right, I know that, but let's just, yeah. let's just insult midwives up the wazoo and then, and then put a disclaimer on there. You know what it reminds me of right. when they did the, um, what do they call it when they do slander? In, there's a particular word for it used historically when they would, when they would try and sway um, public perspective they did that about midwives that we were dirty propaganda yeah yeah that's what that's it reminds me of when it was done in the papers about about the granny midwives that they were dirty and they were you know they weren't trained and all of that same same stuff still happening that's actually a great analogy yeah all right he says um but rather it should be a call for better training and oversight for home births so my question my question for these guys is by who by them (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah it should be called so a better training and oversight for home births well okay who's going to do the training and the oversight mm-hmm. you right amos better not be the ruiz dr ruiz says i'm a big fan of midwives i'm very impressed by how much skill and training they bring when handling delivery but with any but the with the way birthing centers are working to create a home-like atmosphere i believe you can have the best of both worlds a home experience with the resources of a hospital Okay, I, I, uh, all right, how many times have I said, anyone who thinks that you can make a hospital more home-like doesn't understand mammalian birth. Right. I say this all the time. Tell you don't get it, Dr. Ruiz. You don't understand how mammals give birth. Mammals do not give birth by going from their place where they feel safe into a vehicle to go someplace else where they're then asked a bunch of questions and they are inter- interrupted constantly, and there are certain protocols and policies they must follow, and they're not allowed to necessarily eat, and they're not necessarily to move around, and they're not necessarily to get on all fours or change position or get in the water, but like all mammals, like you would never do to your dog what you do to a human female. You just wouldn't do it. You know, it reminds me, as you're talking about that, when we did that transport the other day, and she was, you know, she was in booming labor, right? Um, they were doing a mental health assessment questionnaire on her. <laughs> I'm like, this can't wait. I mean, literally, like, have you been having feelings of anxiety? Have you been having more time where you're feeling happy than, you know what I mean? And, we're, and, and they're Jula probably, and and they're probably reading it off like a robot. Mm-hmm. I was were they even making eye contact her while they, when they were reading trying. off the questions? They were trying, but she wasn't making eye contact. She no. was having contractions. No, 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 no. That's so. You know, that's. I always joke about. They ask you like, how many stairs do you have in your house? Are you being abused in front of your husband? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not not helpful. <laughs> okay, but I do think that this is like the fifth or sixth paper they've gotten out of the same data. These guys are making a career out of doing this sort of thing. Yeah, and right. they're getting I w- promotions. You I was going to talk a little bit about the California midwife statistics, but I think I want got, you to. No, no I, I want you to. I do. I'll, I don't know this, if we have time for it, but you got something more quick. interesting. Go. This do will it. be quick. All right. Um, Ms. Magazine on February 11th um, published a article, How Midwives Could Improve Maternal Health Outcomes in the U.S. I just thought it was interesting, like juxtaposed. Juxtaposed. Thank you. Position. I was trying to say both words at the same time. Um, 
A new U.S. government report, which we've talked about before on on the podcast, shows that 658 women in the United States died during pregnancy or shortly after in 2018, meaning that 658 families had to go through a devastating loss. At least 658 children would grow up without knowing the touch and love of their mothers. Here's the kicker. Because maternal deaths are usually caused by conditions such as heart disease, infection, postpartum hemorrhage, more than half of these deaths were preventable. So then it talks about that midwives, the study that they've done recently shows that midwives could make a huge difference in turning around these outcomes. So it's just funny that we could go from saying that midwives can make a difference in maternal health and and they're saying that we are have no training in are killing babies. That's all. I think like the food pyramid, we're going to find Sometime in the future, we're going to have some wisdom and we're going to realize that the system that we put in place for the last 70 years has not been beneficial. And despite Amos and Frank uh, and, and their opinions, I think we're going to find that, you know what? Fat does not cause a person to be fat. Okay? Sugar does. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we were asking people to eat low-fat foods, okay, which is take the fats out but they've add they add sugar mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. It, it was about the stupidest thing that they could have ever done and you're supposed to be eating uh you know uh what breads and other things and you're supposed to be vo- avoiding the, i forgot what it is but the the whole thing was upside down yes right well we've done that a lot and so i think our our, our maternity system in the united states and in western countries is upside down yeah and they took the it took it out of the hands of midwives shamed us, told mm-hmm. us that we were wrong, that we didn't know what we're doing. And they're still saying, we, we need to be overseeing you. You're not getting enough education. You need to be doing it more like us, even though our statistics and like are Dr. horrible. And like Dr. Ruiz, and doc, they, live, they live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he thinks that this is the first time anyone's looked at this data, he's out of, you know, he's just, <laughs> it, you, 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 you know, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're being interviewed. You say something uh, uh, to somebody who asks you a question. And you get quoted for something, and you can always say stupid things, and you don't mean to, and you don't mean it. And so I, I, I can see that where that happens. That's why I, I really, really hesitate to give interviews that I don't record myself, mm. because you can often be taken out of context. I mean, I remember in older days when I, I would give interviews for like local NBC, local KNBC or something like that. They'd come to my office. And they'd ask me questions for like, they'd set up for 30 minutes. They'd ask me questions for 20 minutes. And then I'd be on the news for 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's very difficult for me to even want to be involved with that sort of media anymore because you, you, you can't do it. That's why I love the podcast because we can have it. And if guy, if Dr. Ruiz wants to come on the podcast or any of those two doctors from Palm Springs want to come on the podcast or maybe Dr. R., None from, of these uh, Santa Barbara want to come on the podcast. They're welcome to come on the podcast. None of these guys have taken us up on it, or women. Well, I'm, I want to hear. I'm sure they're in their bubble because they don't they don't ever hear the Doctor Sue's podcast or anybody else's podcast. Okay, I've got some data. You want to hear the data? I do. Okay, so I want to think. Uh, shout out to Sue Turner from uh, Ventura County who sent this out to all the LA midwives. I think I don't know if you got one, but I didn't. Oh well, I'll send you the the link. Okay. Uh, so this was from 2018. I guess they're you know a year and a half behind in getting out reports. But this is the California Licensed Midwife Annual Report Summary. And I thought it was interesting. I never looked at one before. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to look at it. And of course, I got out my calculator so I could <laughs> figure some stuff out. And uh, of the midwives they expected to report, there were 483 midwives expected to report. 391 midwives reported, which is an 81% reporting rate, which is not bad for a survey. I thought we'd get in trouble if we don't report. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, okay. But only 266 midwives apparently provided services in the year 2018, mm. at least as far as reporting. People who are licensed who aren't practicing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Having babies. They're having babies. Yeah, apparently there must be there must be 483 midwife licenses listed. Yeah. For And this is licensed midwives. This is not C&Ms. This mm-hmm. is just licensed midwives. Whoop, whoop. Okay, so the total number of clients covered in this report was 4,478. There were that many. Uh, that was the average. So I divided that by... Um, there were 6,226 that came into care, and then there were clients who we were left for other, for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. So the average midwife delivered 17 people in 2018. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what? One and a half a month. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you deliver half? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you deliver half a kid. 
It could straddle the month, maybe deliver it over just at midnight on the end of the month. Okay. Nonetheless, um, okay, now this is going to be trouble. I got to get my glasses out for this part. Sorry about that. We need, we need glass music. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Now I can't see bliss, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm still here. All right. Um, so the first thing that they have uh, that I think was they had um, breached, they, they had a thing on breaches. And there were 116 breaches born to midwives. Hmm. Okay. And of the breaches that went into labor, um, well, actually, the success rate for women that, that, that delivered babies vaginally was 85.2%. Was the success rate? Uh, for all women. All, all the babies that were, uh-huh. all the women that went to labor, 85.2% delivered vaginally out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. The other ones transported? Other ones transported, and many of those had vaginal deliveries. So mm-hmm. I think the C section rate I have. It's like, what's like 6% or something yes. like that. We'll come to that in a second. All right. Yes, yes. So they had non-VBAC completed singleton breach deliveries, live-born deliveries were 116. Uh, of only, uh, and only 16 of those were precipitous or what we would call surprise breaches, I guess. So there were 100 planned breach deliveries in California, which is illegal. I know. I'm like, how does that happen? And I don't report to this. So these are not mine. Huh. So I don't know how that happened. All right, only three sets of twins mm-hmm. were delivered out of the hospital, and no triplets. <laughs> okay, um, out of hospital VBAC success rate was eighty-one percent. Awesome. But there were there were only one hundred eighty-seven planned VBACs out of the hospital, according to those that reported, and one hundred fifty-one were de- were delivered. Mm-hmm. Okay, then it breaks it down into how many had one or two or three or four C sections. I'm not going to get into the weeds, but people okay. can can go to this website. And again, uh, if Renee's listening. To this one, we can probably put the link up to this website because it is kind of interesting to see these, these statistics. Okay. Uh, antepartum transfer of care electively or non-emergently. The most common reason was um, greater than 42 weeks mm. <laughs> or less than 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Mm. Okay. And then 36 uh, uh, of the 260, um, 36... 36 of those were non-vertex term, term, so people were transferred. But again, nothing nothing really jumps out at you here. Um, so about actu- actually, that what jumps out is that the reason that most of those people were transported was because of the law. Well, the largest percentage, it's still a small percentage, it's still only about 15%. About 13% were transferred, transferred because of hypertension that developed in pregnancy. Mm. And everything else is really small. Mm-hmm. Suspected growth retardation, less than 1%. Less, less than 10%. Restriction. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, antepartum care, emergency type. Again, we don't see that very often, but suddenly like when you're in prenatal visits and they're complaining of severe headache mm-hmm. or you know, severe preeclampsia type syndromes or decreased fetal movement, those were the two. And, uh, and also premature rupture of membranes were the three main mm-hmm. ones that caused. There were only, seven, only 73 people that were transferred urgently uh, out of over, you know, 6,000 women yeah. coming into labor yeah. or into care. Okay, so prolonged rupture of membranes for you know, in labor, interpartum transfer of care, electively, not emergently, 9.6 were for prolonged rupture of membranes, 50% were for lack of progress, Yeah. maternal exhaustion or dehydration. Yeah. Um, of the ones that were transferred in care in labor, uh, only 5.5% were either less than 37 or over 42 weeks. So, you know, most of those people, the ones over 42 weeks, I'm not sure how you even understand how they were still in care. I guess maybe they went into labor and, no, they went into labor before 42. You can still care for them even if it rolls over into 42, right? If they're in labor? Yeah. Supposedly, yeah. if they're in active labor. Yeah. Okay. And um, so there were 619... women that had um, intrapartum care that was transferred. And if you divide that by the number of actual births, the, the transfer rate was 13.8%. On average for, for midwives, you're talking about in labor. In labor transfer, 13%. the average was 13.8%, which yeah. is lower than I would have thought. Oh, I, I usually say 10 to 15. Okay, well, you're right on. Yeah. As always, that's why you're the best in the business. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, interpartum can't transfer of care or in labor, urgent or emergent transport reasons. 44% were for non-reassuring fetal heart rate. Yep. Or symptoms of fetal distress. Mm-hmm. And the only other thing that was even significant was just the clinical judgment of the midwife. Okay. Where a single other condition does not apply. So that n- none of the things like suspected preeclampsia, suspected, well, there were zero suspected uterine ruptures. There was zero maternal shock. There were two prolapsed umbilical cords out of 107 total transports. Yeah, not common. Right. So only 2.4% of women were transferred transferred emergently out of all the women in labor. 2.4? Yeah. That's higher than I would suspect. The overall transfer rate was 13 point, what did I say, Mm 13.8? But of that, 2.4% were um, in labor, Mm -hmm. emergent transports. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, you think so? It's so let's see. That's two point four hundred two point eight. It's like a one in six. So about sixteen uh, percent of transports are from our emergencies, and the other eighty four percent are from you know non emergent. Uh, she's exhausted. Let's yeah. go. Um, postpartum transports of care. There were only twenty one non emergent ones. And half of them were for a repair beyond the level of scope of practice, mm-hmm. which is what you'd expect. And then postpartum transfer of care or emergent, there were 32 cases. And the number one cause was? Say it again. What is it? Postpartum transfer of care, urgent or emergent. The number one cause? Hemorrhage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Actually, it wasn't hemorrhage in and of itself. That was, that was only six out of 32. Mm-hmm. It was retained placenta. 14 out of 32. I'd be curious to know how long they waited and what they tried. That's just my brain. Yeah, but we're only talking about 14 cases out of over 4,000 births. That's still pretty high. Okay. Um, Transfer care for the infant, non-emergent, after birth, obviously. Mm -hmm. There were only 13 Mm -hmm. babies transported non-emergently. And the number one cause, there was, was six, which was poor transition. Yeah. Right, which is what you'd have guessed. Mm-hmm. And other fi- and the other uh, almost all the other ones were clinical judgment of the midwife where it didn't fall into the either category of of birth injury, congenital anomalies, low birth weight, parental request there was one. <laughs> right. Mhm. That's interesting. You wonder wouldn't you like to know this yeah. the scenario? Yeah. Okay. We want we want notes. And then he- and then here's transfer of care uh, for in- emergently there were 49 out of 4,478 births, so that's a 1.1% transport rate for babies. It seems reasonable, a little high maybe. 1.1%? 1, 1%, 1%, basically no. 1%. I mean, I thought that real true emergencies were less than 1%, but okay. it's around there. It's a 1%. The most common, mm-hmm. uh, ha- almost half of those were obviously cardiac or respiratory issues. Mm-hmm. And, the, uh, and 15, so one-third were... Um, Abnormal vital signs or color, tone, lethargy, or lack of interest in nurse, nursing. No trans, poor yeah. transition. Poor. So, do you have deaths? Uh, yeah, I do I think? Um, let's see. Did I do I have deaths? Uh, hang on, getting ahead of me. Oh yeah, I do. Okay, I think I got that. Okay. All right. So next one is birth outcomes after transfer of care. Um. There were 588, well, of the women who were transferred, 500, uh, uh, sounds like about 800, 588 of them had a vaginal delivery and 287 had a cesarean section rate for an overall C-section rate of 7.6%, mm. if I'm doing my math correctly. Okay. That's not bad. Um, right. Let's see. Birth outcomes after transfer of care. There were no really, there were no significant uh, complications to the babies after transfer. There's one fetal demise diagnosed during labor or delivery. Um, five babies born vaginally after transfer of care had serious problems that did not resolve by four weeks. And 14 had serious problems that resolved by four weeks. So... You know, there there weren't there weren't a lot. And see, I think I have um, the last page is about complications leading to fetal demise, infant, and/or maternal death. There were no maternal deaths, by the way. 
Yeah, I've never met a midwife who's lost a mom yet. Knock on wood. Yeah, knock wood. Wait, put your microphone there and do that again. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. There was one out-of-hospital death, and it was an anomaly incompatible with life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there was... Um, one in hospital distant to immediately postpartum period, there was one uh, demise from uh, neurologic issues and one from other, which I don't know what other means. And then the fetal complications from out of the hospital, there were six. There were two of the anomalies incompatible with life, two cord accidents, and two others. And after transport, there were three that had inc- anomalies incompatible with life. And the rest were uh, others, and they're not reported. So again, very small. That's you pretty don't much have the percentage for. I didn't do the percentage. Um, well, we're talking about okay. really small numbers. So I okay. mean, we're talking about far less than one percent. I mean, far, far, far less than one percent. Mm-hmm. Remember, there were four thousand four hundred seventy-eight successful home births, mm-hmm. and I told you. I think they said the success rate was about eighty-five percent, mm-hmm. which is not surprising. Let me take these glasses off so I can see. You. <laughs> so, which is not surprising. Um, so, I mean, those numbers are, are decent numbers. I mean, it depends who's looking at them. You know, if Amos and Frank are looking at them, they're, you know, any, any, any death is going to be something that should have been prevented because hospital births are perfect. Right. Exactly. We have the, the best statistics in all of the world here. Right. In the hospital. More mothers living than ever before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for hey, th- hey, why are we being cynical? We're not supposed to be cynical. <laughs> I guess it's really hard when I read this stuff not to get a little cynical. Well, thanks for reading it. That was very interesting. Was it? Yeah. I hope the listeners felt that way. Yeah. All right. And make sure you put the link so they could check it out themselves if they want. I will. Okay. So what else is on your mind? Uh, Lunch. Okay. <laughs> is it time for lunch? <laughs> what else is on my mind? Nothing. Nothing. The rest of my well, day. Well, then, then we'll have John hit the music. Yeah. Hit it, John. All right. So we got a lot of stuff accomplished in this podcast. We sort of went off track again, but we still got through most of what we wanted to. I really wanted to read some letters, and we'll try to save them. We always end up pigpiling the letters for another podcast. Next time. Yeah. And, and our surprise guest who wasn't able to come today. So we'll have her next time, hopefully. Yep. Yep, it'll mm-hmm. be a surprise. Surprise. <laughs> it'll, it remains a surprise. <laughs> so anyway, this has been we you know, this is one of those great podcasts where Bliss and I just sat around and chatted and we love doing it. And we hope you love listening to it and we hope you weren't bored. Right? <laughs> Let us know what you want to hear about. If you were bored, give us some suggestions. Yeah, nobody was bored. <laughs> and if you're bored, keep it to yourself. <laughs> All right. So this has again been Dr. Stu and Bliss at Dr. Stu's podcast number one sixty six. You can reach me at birthinginstincts.com. It's my website. And askdrstu at gmail.com. You can reach Bliss at birthingbliss.com for her website. Birthingbliss at hotmail.com. And follow me on Instagram when I post. But Bliss rarely posts, so don't follow Bliss. Aw, follow me. Uh, So until next time, uh, we know that you have many different choices to listen to. And I always say we're grateful that you listen to our podcast. Um, Share it with friends. Bliss, give your thing. Tell them to share it with friends. Share it with friends. If you like this podcast, please share it with friends and give us a review and um, keep the questions and suggestions coming. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time. Bye-bye.